we are. Born to be kings, we're the princes of the universe, otherwise known as men seeking tomahawks. Here's what you've got. You've got me, super fantastic Jack Drastic, alongside me, one Danny Franks hyphen Matthews. Danny, how are you over there, sir? Good, just kind of fitting the, the backside back into the saddle here, getting things back into the groove. Feels good. You know, you have your chair, you have like your, your comfy chair, and you know, just kind of molds to your body, and then when you you don't sit in it for a while, it takes a little bit of time to get that mold back, but it's like a little bit of muscle memory there. It's still there, you just got to find it. That is figuratively and literally where we're at right now, because Men Seeking Tomahawks has been doing stuff and things recently. We're trying to catch back up and record it all, you know, put it all on tape for you guys. One thing, Dano, that's happened recently is uh, breaking news. I am with child. He is, uh, I don't know, six or something right now, right? And so uh, I wanted to do a little fun with real audio. This is really going to pad our stats is when we get cute kids. We start exploiting our kids like all these other internet personalities what do i've we, got two let's do i it. know this is why we don't have the ratings we need to stop uh trying to figure it out we just need to start exploiting our kids like everybody else that would be that would be smart of us so in the spirit of that dan i wanted to uh i wanted to do a little fun with real audio for you if you'll uh if you'll give my 1998 uh mp3 player here a listen i've got it uh I've got it plugged in to the interface so uh this is a little bit of counting, okay, Dan? And I want you to I want you to try to detect the humor here. Like let me let me know if you can detect the humor, okay? You ready? All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. That was good. Got it got one through ten knocked out, right? Nailed okay, it, so child. let's uh let's move on here. Let's move on a little bit. Eleven, twelve. 14, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Again, spot on, right? I couldn't, I couldn't do it any better. He literally said the right numbers. He literally, in, in the right numbers in the right order. I mean, that's, yeah. he came to play, Dan. So uh, here's, here's a little bit more numberage for you, okay? Let me see, let me know if you detect anything, okay? 21. To 30. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Okay, did anything sound off to you at all? Uh, the number 30? Okay. Okay, let's uh let's see if that was an aberration. Let's let's get uh let's get 30 through through 39. Yay. He must be trying out for uh for for a, a bit segment here on Men's Sake and Tomahawks. He's I showing mean, off his range here. I have we're putting the bit at the beginning now. So let's uh let's see if uh if thirty is the uh the outlier, or, or does just chaos reign for the rest of the, the numbers? Let's find out. 
Okay, okay, so you get it. So like <laughs> So this is what happened, right? Okay, so we're yeah. we're learning our ABCs one, two, threes, right? And uh just out of nowhere, for some reason, he could not nail the the thirty like that for for whatever reason didn't didn't work. And he started doing that voice. And I was like, buddy, who is who are we talking to today? Who's who's this character we're talking to? And he was like, Daddy, I can't I, I have to make this voice to make that sound come out of my mouth. <laughs> and I was like, That's uh that's totes adorbs, right? That's uh that's some good stuff. Okay, so permission to to review back um, yes, please. the second set. I did notice that his thirteen and fourteen sounded similar. It was it sounded like fourteen fourteen. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So it's it, there must be something to do with that uh, that th there that uh, is is really throwing Buddy Man off and, it's, and you know I, I hate that we're we're exploiting it but it's no, super cute and no. he's gonna have a laugh at it when he's our age. We hope so. You know, just you know, you know what I always say: just not enough child exploitation. That's the problem these days, Dan. You know what the problem is. Yeah, you just told me not enough child exploitation. Now you know. Anyway, love you, buddy. Thank you for uh, thank you for the chuckles. So Dan, this uh, this episode, uh, we need to know, we need to crack open the Dan li- uh, diary, right? Because we've been gone a bit, and a lot of that has been because of you being the man about town. So, what the heck are we doing tonight, Dan? Yeah, so this is actually it's something I've been looking forward to. And several months ago, when I when I signed up to do this thing, I told you this is going to be an episode. Once I do this thing, because it's going to be super exciting. And this thing finally happened, Jack, because this past week I had the opportunity to go back in time to visit one of my biggest interests from my childhood. It's actually been a lifelong interest that started at a young age, uh, maybe at the age of your young one that we just heard counting. Uh, And I got to immerse myself in the world of magic. So, Jack, magic talk and a story of my magical journey is what's coming up today. There is so much that I can't wait for, and that starts now because, Dan, we have the privilege of once again playing one of our little buddies. It's a guy who we featured on the show long, long ago. Many of the Lost episodes. Many of the original 82. We've actually interviewed him. We've had him as one of our featured talents at uh, the concert that... uh, the music festival, I guess, would be the appropriate way to phrase it that Dan and I once put on. I'll tell that story one day. And he's back. He is back in the saddle. And boy, howdy, are we so glad he is because he is a big friend of the show, the, the official hip-hop artist of Men Seeking Tomahawks to this day. To this day, Dan. So, guys, coming up next, Dan is about to trip report us just so hard. But first... Our little buddy, Sono Amazing. He's back. It's Sono with the track Berlin right here on Men Seeking Tomahawks. What do I say when I'm alone and unafraid And the words become astray when you're near We had discussions on the phone like we were younger Both afraid of what the other truly feared Better see you wrapped up in my sweater. Burning winds for like December by the pier. 
like a shooting star. Oh, I'm falling, 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 falling for you. Look in your eyes, it's like we're the only two souls alive. It feels like forever when you're by my side. Let's run away someplace, somewhere that they won't find. What can I say when now you feel so far away? All the memories we have won't let them fade. But if I never see you again, I'll remember how you smiled in the wind. And like a shooting star, oh, I'm falling, 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 falling for you. What if I never see you again? I remember how you smiled in the wind. And like a shooting star, oh, I'm falling, 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 falling for you. He used to be so no amazing. Now, I think the cool things the kids do is uh, to just shorten the names Dan don't have time for all those syllables so now he's Sono but he's still amazing to us GD it Sono here with Berlin that's our hip hop singer songwriter friend originally from Bakersfield big Lakers fan that kid and we're big fans of his Dan we we really are thank you Sono and to hear more from Sono and every musician featured on the program Go to menseekingtomahawks.com. Dan, I send it to you with love. Thank you. So, as I mentioned going into the break, I have been a fan of magic. And this is, uh, just to be clear, this is like abracadabra magic. This is not magic. Not the card game. Not the card game. Although, funny story that comes along with that later on. But right now, what I wanted to do is kind of like I, I know my background in magic and what got me interested, and I'm, I, I want to share that with you. That kind of led to my journey from this past week, and excited to hear if you have any any relations there as well. But my magic start really was kind of I think what a lot of boys from our generation had, and that's like when you're five, six years old, aunt, grandparent, someone thinks it's really cool to get you a magic set. Do you ever have a magic set? Uh. Not as a child, no. Oh. Didn't live the, okay. the privileged life of your yesteryear. Sorry. Maybe we have an adult magic set coming, uh, <laughs> coming well, later. May, maybe. We'll, maybe we'll cross that bridge later in this episode. But yeah, this was uh, you know an off-the-shelf kind of probably Walmart kind of thing where you know within this box you've got 15 different tricks. We'll show you how to you know pull a scarf out of your hand. We'll show you how to... You know, make this fake rabbit appear. Definitely had a magic wand, perhaps a top hat, and uh, some card, some card tricks. Maybe a fake thumb that you can pull off and hide things in. Uh, a bunch of uh, cheesy things, but these are you know the basic things that come in in magic sets for kids. And I really, you know, this was probably like some insight into the mischievous side of me that would come later on. But like, I really liked the idea of at least thinking I was tricking people. Now, looking back when you're five and performing like magic tricks for your adult family, like nobody's tricked by anything. <laughs> um, but so it's like as you're thinking back, you're like, oh, wow, like everyone was really gracious to me to like pretend that I was tricking them. 
Bro, we, oh, I think we all feel that feeling so hard. We miss, we miss when our magic tricks were wowing everyone when they weren't really. We miss when people asked if our new shoes made us feel fast. You know, I mean, <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody cares how fast you move in those shoes anymore, Daniel. It's no, terrible. but I mean, we, you know, we find ourselves now, I'm sure, with the, the little one who we heard count earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we, we return that favor. You bet. Um, but yeah, I, I, I then went through a phase where I had, I think, like a real top hat and a real cape and like what I would call a real magic wand at the time. Okay. When, um, I think this is a... When was this? When was this? I think this was... So this was not like... Uh, this was not sophomore year of high school. This was like second grade. Okay. Um, so still... Yeah, still, still, still the youth. Um, but what I do remember, it's I tried to, to chat with my parents and see what kind of recollection they had of some of these so that I could bring a full trip report here. And to the best of my recollection, in the second grade, we had to do like a research paper on a state and then like present that state information to the class. And for some reason, I presented it like as a magician. So I would present about the state of Michigan while wearing a top hat and a cape and a magic wand. What? I didn't have many friends. Was that relevant, though? Was there, is there some mus- mus- I, I, magician I believe, from Michigan? No, but I do believe that like somehow like that was my way of like making it an out of the box. OK, uh, you know, report. Well, I don't know if this is uh, non-disclosure, but I know that you as of now are, are, are averse to speaking publicly. So I'm wondering if maybe that was some sort of uh, coping mechanism, some security blanket maybe that Dan the Magnificent maybe presented and that kind of gave you... So little Danny Franks wasn't, was scared to present, but if Dan the Magnificent was doing it, then that kind of broke down the barriers. Maybe. Hmm. It's a good thought. So, so that way, you know, kind of skipping ahead from there, the next kind of magic adjacent thing I could remember is we had this place in town. We could ride our bike there, a little little suburb of Dallas. It was called the Bargain Bin. Shout out to anyone that grew up in, in Grapevine, Texas and remembers the Bargain Bin. But it was like this little, I don't know, kind of like the size of a snow cone stand. You could go in and there's just like one row of things. Uh, but they sold a bunch of like pranks, I guess is really what they were. Like, uh, do you remember the... Uh, they're like bomb bags is what we called them. And you would like squeeze the inside and they would expand and they're like these little foil bags and they would blow up. No, um, what what is this? So I think all it was was like you had a little like a foil bag and within it there was like another bag. Okay. And you would squeeze the inside bag and I think there was like probably vinegar in there and then there was like baking soda all throughout and it like expanded and then exploded. Wow. But they made them that like had like sulfur in them so they smelt really bad. So like more prank things, but like they also had some magic things at Bargain Bin too. So that was kind of where I went from, uh, you know, magician to maybe a little more prankster. I don't know. Yeah, like that. Mischievous. Um, I also, I also remember. Did you ever get the Boys Life magazine? I did. Or one of those that had like the magic tricks in the back. Do you remember like those black and white ads? Or it was like oh, X-ray glasses and all those fun things. Kid, kids these days will never know how how what a what a wonderland of complete bs the back of a magazine was with all these random ads for you know mail in a a prepaid envelope for some x-ray glasses you got those monkeys what were they called sea monkeys uh, or something yeah you got the sea monkeys you could get the columbia record house you could get the little stamps of the albums i mean there's so much oh that's that that might be a full full show right there 
Okay. Yeah, so we can table that. Um, but definitely bought some some magic-y things out of the back of magazines. But uh, right around that age, middle elementary to middle school, I, I more learned that I was a fan of, of like magic for in terms of like watching it and, and being a fan of magic than actually a practitioner, maybe because of that stage fright you mentioned. I knew I would never want to get up in front of a group of strangers and perform magic tricks. Bet payoff. Perf- Bet payoff. Bet payoff. Maybe so. I yeah. We might have to send one of us to the improv and do a do a magic set. Ooh. <laughs> That'll Ooh. Uh, open mic magic set. Yes, that could be fun. Um, now that I have friends, we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyways, so so that kind of made me remember like the TV specials. I don't know if you remember, but like we used to have TV specials. It wasn't America's Got Talent, but you would have. This is a little bit later on, but some of the more well-known ones were like David Blaine, right? He had the series that was like really huge. Yeah. Like David Copperfield used to have like Thursday night specials. Like it was a thing you would. That was the big one because like Blaine and Mind Freak and all that had like syndicated. Chris Angel, the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. They had TV shows, but like uh, when David Copperfield was about to pull something off in the 90s, that was like you, he had a full block it was like the Magic Super Bowl, right? Like it wasn't a weekly thing. It was like, this is the event that's going on tonight. Is that dude's about to walk through the wall of China? Like, is shut off everything else? Like this is or going make down. the Statue of Liberty disappear? It's the seven thirty seven is going to disappear in front of your eyes? Like yeah. those were primetime specials. Yeah. Oh yeah, big stuff. So you know those TV shows definitely got me interested. I remember at some point, and this was probably going back to elementary school, going to the Barnum and Bailey Circus, and that's when Siegfried and Roy were like a featured act. Um, obviously, they became, you know, one of the most well-known pair of musicians in Vegas, one of the most popular acts for for decades. Um, but they toured with the circus for a while with their lions, and I remember definitely seeing, you know, lions and elephants disappear in front of my eyes thanks to Siegfried and Roy at the at the Three Ring Circus. Okay, so, so that I was kinda, something that got me into it. Yeah, I kind of forgot about Siegfried and Roy. Like, to me, I always. I always kind of associate those two with like a uh, the fancy version of uh, Tiger King. Like they were, you know, like they were just more like like this is an exotic presentation of our animals that we somehow acquired. I didn't. I yeah, I mean, they certainly they certainly were best known for their their tiger. I mean, they had a habitat there. At, I think it was Treasure Island or the Mirage or one of those on the Strip. Yeah, I where forgot about the could, magic component. But like, yeah, so they, they actually, their background was they were magicians, they were cruise ship mag- magicians, hmm. um, you're both European based. And I, I think that's, that's where they met as just two kind of so, solo mu- magicians. So European, like, so they, they so were very, very, European. very Euro- European. Yes. Very European till the end. But yeah, so they were magicians and a lot of their magic was based, you know, with the animals. So that was them. Uh, I remember when I was again in elementary school. Uh, David Copperfield was on tour, and I was trying to get, was trying to get some information out of my dad. Gary Franks featured a performer on the show, and I was like, "Do you remember that one time that when I was like seven or eight, and we went and saw David Copperfield? And we were trying to remember where that was." And that's it's crazy when you try to research things from the past on the internet. There's just not a record of a lot of these. Like I was trying to figure out, like, okay, this David Copperfield tour in the early to mid '90s, like, where would this have stopped in Dallas? And there's just like not records of these, but it's stuff that I really kind of wish I could figure out because we both remember going to it, but we couldn't remember where it was. Um, only thing I could remember was that it was awesome. He did a lot of, you know, he's known for his big stage shows, with big acts, big illusions versus, you know, David Blaine who does the close-up magic. 
Yeah. David Copperfield makes big things disappear. He made it snow. That's the one thing I remember is that was the last act because it snowed, which is like the lamest trick because <laughs> there's just, you know, shaved soap falling from the yeah. ceiling. Whereas, whereas like when he makes the helicopter disappear from stage, that's a little more impressive. Like yeah. there's a little bit more to that. Yeah. He also levitated, I think. Oh. We've talked about in the past, uh, like us, well, this would have been the original 82, I guess, but we've both done some cruises in the past and cruise ships often have magicians. Those are always my favorite performers in the cruise ships. Um, one of the more recent magic shows I went to is Piff the Magic Dragon. Are you familiar with him? I've never heard of a Piff the Magic Dragon. So this is, uh, I think he became most well-known on America's Got Talent, but he's been doing the act for, for a while before that. But he's this uh, short, stocky, uh, real, I guess just uh, no frills, like with his personality, British guy. But he does all of his like very straightforward magic dressed as this dragon. It's like this ornate Halloween costume. Um, and that's just like his gimmick. He just does normal, good, close-up magic, but he does it all dressed as a dragon. Uh, and he has Mr. Piffles, who is his uh, sidekick, who's a little dog that's also dressed as a, a dragon. Awesome. And yeah, so I think he's a he's got a regular residency on the strip in Vegas as well, but he did a tour several years ago and stopped at the improv here in Addison, Texas and saw Piff the Magic Dragon. And then most recently, I think I mentioned this in passing on a past episode, but within the past year or so, I did see David Copperfield again at his MGM Grand Show in Las Vegas. Residency, um, right? It's a residency. residency long-time residency at the David Copperfield Theater there at the MGM Grand. And I think the fun fact I learned, you know, as I'm sitting there watching him go through the motions and just act like he doesn't care about anything but getting through the, the back half of the show, um, that he's the first and probably the last billionaire magician, which is, like, crazy that a magician could be a billionaire. But... He's kind of one of these guys that has more or less sold his soul to the dollar. Um, yeah. Saying his name at this event that I'm going to talk about a little bit later is kind of like saying, I don't know, what, a four-letter word or maybe a longer word that you're just not supposed to say in public. He, he's not well-liked in the magic community, but he's definitely uh, made the most of his career. Well, uh, you know, I'm sure he can weep into his piles of money. But, I mean, that's like what I said about the, the difference between basic cable magicians and that guy being a primetime network television superstar. I mean, just deal with it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. So, in you know, if you're in Vegas, I recommend the show. It, it's still really great magic. It's, um, man, it's, it is it is crazy. Like I said, you're in this little theater and one second you're just sitting at looking at this empty stage and next thing you know there's like a helicopter on stage and you it's it, it if the illusion is amazing and you know i i don't want to know how it happened really like i'm sure it'd be easy to google and figure out how these happen but it's it's kind of like pro wrestling like to yeah. to really get into it you just want to like be entertained and, and be able to believe that this crazy stuff is happening yeah and then kind of my my latest fascination, and this has been probably the past decade or so since I learned about this place and I've always wanted to get into it, but it's called the Magic Castle. Are you familiar with the Magic Castle? No, sir. So this is in Hollywood, just just a block off the Hollywood Boulevard, kind of towards the, towards the hills, if you're familiar uh, with the, the layout of, of the Hollywood Hills. And it is a literal castle right there in Hollywood, and it's the headquarters of the American Society of Magicians or something like that. And it's this place where every night, seven nights a week, year round, they've got magicians that will will pop in and do a week's worth of shows there. And it's like the best of the ma best magicians. Like if you're a good magician, 
You're invited to perform at the Magic Castle. The problem is the only people that are allowed in are magicians that are members of the society who you have to be a magician or you have to be a guest of a magician. They're able to bring a plus one with them. So this has kind of been my my latest fascination. And, and we'll talk about, like I was thinking, you know, through this uh, this journey to this magic event, maybe I could make some friends that would invite me to the magic castle. Stick around to see if that happened. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, the magic castle is like this, you know, pardon the pun, but like magical place that I've always wanted to figure out a way into. So where I'm getting to with this and kind of this background of magic is to lead me to you know, talk about what my week has, has been spent doing. Um, where I learned about this this event that brought me to Austin, Texas, was, believe it or not, from a podcast called the Magic Word Podcast. And it's like this insider talking shop uh, podcast amongst magicians, but there's not a whole lot of magic podcasts out there for fans. So I started listening to one about, like, you know, by the practitioners. And last year, I heard about this one, uh, th- this event that was taking place called the Magic Collectors Expo. And usually these events they talk about are more, you know, like trade shows for people in the industry. But this one seemed like one that was like, oh, okay, like you can just be a fan of the history of magic. And this is an, a conference that you could go to. You're not going to get like in trouble for being there if you're not a real magician. And I kind of, you know, thought like that would be a cool thing to go to. Well, come to find out through listening to that podcast a little bit more, the next iteration of it was going to be March 2020, in Austin, Texas, which, you know, that made my little magic pants go a little bit crazy there. Yep. Uh, so I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I hopped online. I bought tickets to the Magic Collectors Expo 2022 in Austin, Texas. And the rest, we shall say, is history or is the next segment. Oh, look at you with that industrial grade tease, Dan. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Okay, guys. Well, coming up next, Dan is about to walk the halls of the magicians expo for us just a little bit of painting with the mind's eye if you will looking forward to this but guys here's another here's another musician before we get to that that i've been it's funny like i've been trying to get to this song for like a month now and somehow something goes wrong every time i've gone about it but uh we're doing it, guys. We're doing it right now. And I'm going to go ahead and preload this because it's a, it's a crazy story. What we're about to listen to, young Daniel, is a Japanese city pop from Germany. As the story goes, there's a video game sound designer, okay, who is an enthusiast of Japanese city pop. And he speaks Japanese. So he wrote this song... Then he sent the song to a Malaysian singer by the name of Yuko, who went ahead and recorded it for him. Now, this thing has got legs. It's actually become somewhat of an international hit. And for whatever reason, this musician has gone ahead and allowed us the opportunity to play it for you. So for, without further ado, here we have the pulpy principle with Psycho no Tomodachi right here on Men Seeking Tomahawks. Yeah. 
Germany. That was the pulpy principle with Psycho no Tomodachi. Daniel, I feel like I am the DJ, I am what I play, and I've given you the the tasty tracks tonight. That's what I did. That's what I did for you. Done a good job. Done a good job setting the table because I'm excited to share with you 
my, my journey, my journey to Austin, Texas, the long journey from up here in, in North Dallas. And this was a Wednesday when I, I headed south and I rode the Vaughn Lane. Are you familiar with the Vaughn Lane? You and I have discussed the Vaughn Lane and your fascination with it of time or two. That's right. It's the uh, it's the bus that goes straight from oh, from Dallas to Austin. Blah, 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 the fancy bus, Dan. It's the fancy bus, right? The fancy bus. They take one of those big uh, 55-seaters and trim it down to about a 15-seater. Yep. So uh, it's like riding in first class only on a bus. And you get your stewardess that helps out and brings you some snacks and maybe a lunch or breakfast. So wow. I rode the Vaughn Lane from Dallas to Austin, arrived in style. Get there. They drop you off downtown. It's about a half mile from my hotel and where the event was taking place. So I hopped on the scooter, rode the scooter uh, from South Austin to Central Austin. You pulled one of Great those. Great mode of transport. Yeah, you pulled one of those electric scooters out of one of the ditches and downloaded the app and away you went. Yeah, so, so two observations. One, uh, I was in downtown Dallas this week and the scooters are gone from Dallas. Those are They've completely pulled them. Yeah. Uh, but Austin definitely an abundance of scooters which is good for me because this is my my main mode of transport so yeah i rode it up from the von lane station uh and up to the sheraton in austin beautiful sheraton in austin right by the Capitol, and hopped on in to the lobby to check in from my room see if it was ready this was kind of my first uh, i don't know if red flag would be the right word but definitely the first uh, head scratcher moment uh, as i checked in from my hotel the person at the front counter said now now, what kind of magic convention is this? Is this like uh, like the card game magic or like the abracadabra magic? That's why I knew this was a big deal for the hotel to host this magic convention that they had to ask me, random person checking in, what kind of magic this was. So the, so the hotel set up this convention, and they're like, I don't know, some guys rented some rooms in the back, and we're not quite sure what's going on back there. This might be a magic card game convention this might be an orlando magic enthusiasts you know we're about to see some some cutouts of shaquille o'neal back there or something we yeah and i was like come know. on and but i was like come on look at me take a guess right <laughs> like do you think i'm a do you think i'm a card game fan here like do you, do you think i play magic the gathering my, my tracy mcgrady t-shirt just that's irrelevant right now it's just just a coincidence we uh, So we determined with the front desk that uh, this was indeed an abracadabra magic convention, using their words. Uh, and they s- pointed me to the direction of where the event would be held. Is that offensive to you, Dan? Is uh, abracadabra magic an offensive phrase? Should we get woke here? I, am, I was not offended because we all know the best magicians do say abracadabra at the end of a, a really great trick. Uh, I'm just glad that I was the buffer, and these real magicians that were attending the event weren't asked this question because they might have actually, yeah. you know, had to make this guy disappear. You're a conduit to a better future, Dan. That's right. Um, now, speaking of the event, they pointed me to the direction of the event, and this was my uh, my first sign that this event would not be anything like some of the events that I attend or, or produce. What now, do you mean I, by that? What does that mean? Is it what I, I do? Sign over the broom closet, and they're like, uh, "No, no, 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 no! Pay no attention." The witches' convention. What kind of the broom closet? What do you think? This is like flying witches around here. No, this is a real magic jack. No, but they pointed me to the uh, the direction of the ballroom, and I was like, "Okay, there's there's nothing down there. It's an empty hallway." They said, "Oh no, there's there's a table over there," 
and I walked up and there was there's no signage, no um no indication that this might be the the table to be looking for. It's like a need to know basis. Like you just got to know who the guy is that you're looking for. And uh, I figured out, you know, there's there's Bill over there, Bill Smith, and uh, Bill is the one that will give you your your name badge and and check you in. So okay, went over there and hold on, hold on, hold on. Question. So you say that this expo is uh, magician audience friendly, right? It's it's not just insider expo. What's the ratio there, though? Like that's that's my question. Because part of me is like, if I'm a magician and I'm putting on an expo that is mostly for my brethren in the guild, then I want to keep it kind of secret. I don't want to. I want the the local riffraff in it. So so is this low budget or is this just keeping it <laughs> like speakeasy style? Yeah, yeah. Is that is yeah, that what no, we're doing? So- here? Yeah, so I, I should probably set the table to what this is as right. I'm um, as I'm walking up here. This is the Magic Collectors Expo, and as I mentioned a little bit earlier, this is geared towards people who collect uh, memorabilia of magic and magic history, um, and like to tell stories of of magic's past. This is not uh, really this is not really performance based. This isn't um, you know for your entertainment, but it's also not like Hey, here's how we do these tricks, or here's our you know stage present styles, or anything like that. This was really kind of celebrating the art of magic, which is why I found an interest in this particular one, like I mentioned earlier. So I don't think this is necessarily the case of like, hey, we, you know, you gotta. It's on a need to know basis. This was something that uh, certainly they were you know hoping for, aiming to get lots of people who are uh, collectors and magic enthusiasts there so i walked up and you know kind of said my name at the table and they gave me my badge and they said see you tonight you know be down here at four o'clock so that was that was it and like comparing and contrasting to the events that that you know podcast movement puts on and that you know you've been a part of several times and that i've been a part of several times we've got signs and blinking lights and you know greeters and and all kinds of all kinds of things like there's no no question where to go and when to go and all of those things this one actually it was funny like i didn't even get an email about this event like within a month before the event like in february they sent out an email like don't forget next month is the expo and then that was the last thing and like there's no social media presence there's no like the website hadn't been updated since like january it was just like this most like when I got there, it was relatively well organized, but there was just like it was like you would have done things before the internet is what it really felt like, or in the early days of the internet, which I guess has a special charm to it or a well, certain charm to it. it. Yeah, I mean they know they're okay. So guessing here again, so like I'm I'm working this out as we go. I feel like they know their audience, and also there's uh, potential budget restrictions. So like if I know my audience is a certain specific niche group of guys who want to buy top hats that used to have rabbits in them or something, then, eh, you know, CB radio, maybe Morse code, Western union telegraph. Like that's, that's where I'm, that's where I'm headed. I'm headed to the local public access. That's, that's where I'm going. When you mentioned niche group. So let's, let's talk about that. The, uh, the attendee base here, I would say average age. uh, Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. North of 45. Uh, keep going north. <laughs> 55. I would say the average age was 60 to 70. Okay. 
Uh, 60 to 70 average. So you certainly had some octanegerian, easy for me to say, 80 plus in there. Um, And then I would say that I was the youngest person probably by 15 years and I'm mid 30s. No, by 10 years. We'll say that. We'll say, you know, definitely no one else in their 30s is there. Okay. Um, I I find that unfortunate. I do. It it is. And then they talked several times about like, hey, we got to figure out how to get younger people involved here. Yeah. You know, as they kind of talk about the industry or or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I determined there was about 150 to 200 people there just kind of on on trying to do some head counts. Okay. Um, I would say you could count on your your two hands, your 10 fingers, how many uh, ladies there were there. It was very, very male dominant. Sorry, Dan. I had the best hairline going at the at the event. I, I told that to my wife several times, which she wasn't super impressed that <laughs> that, that was the case. But uh, as I sat in the back of some of these ballrooms, I was noticing quite a bit of um, glare from the from the front of the room. Uh, but yeah, so it was an interesting audience. It was a, an interesting crowd. Now the the rundown of what I experienced there. Uh, the first night we went to the Ransom Center at the University of Texas at Austin, which is this collection of theatrical. Uh, artifacts and um, papers and documents, kind of like archival things from all over um, theater and entertainment. And one of the big exhibits they have there is, is magic, and they have some Harry Houdini collectibles there, quite a few. So got to got to view some of those. Kind of the the prize pieces were a bookshelf that was in his his house or his room, and a couple original show posters from when he was on tour in the early 1900s. Those were those were kind of cool. Uh, and then we finished that night with somewhere, which I don't think we've talked about this before, but uh, it's definitely my favorite place in Austin and probably one of my favorite places in the world. And that's called Esther's Follies. Are you familiar with Esther's Follies? Oh, wait a minute. This is not the place that you once suggested I go to one sunny day in Austin. It might have been. It is probably it, was. Is it the pinball place? Oh no, that no, that I also love pinballs with a Z. Um, okay. Pinballs with a Z is is definitely one of my favorite places in Austin. No, Esther's Follies is uh, what I can best describe as kind of SNL meets Broadway meets Vegas magic. So it's a stage show uh, right there on Sixth Street, and it's been there for forty five years, I think. Like it's a staple of Austin, but it's one of these things that like if you don't know it, you don't know it. But anyone who does know it just kind of swears by it. And it's this two-hour stage show that runs five nights a week, or not five nights a week, five times a week, three nights a week, and they they do songs and dances, and it's all topical. That's kind of the SNL lean to it, where you know we we were catching the tail end of the Chris Rock, Will Smith uh, song and dance. Um, definitely a lot of uh, like local Texas humor that you kind of got to be from you know Austin to get the the weed jokes or the Greg Abbott jokes or things like that. So you got a little politics in there. And then, you know, you got your magic. And that's the whole reason why this event stopped by there is they have a very famous uh, magician who that's where he's been for for 30 years. And he's known for being just this awesome magician who's never had a desire to go to Vegas and never, you know, had a desire to go on tour like this is home. And it's awesome. It's an awesome magic show. Ray Anderson's his name. And he's kind of this like local legend and this legend within the, the magic scene, like all the magicians what would you call like the magician's magician? Yeah. Um, that's kind of what he is. Um, and he's kind of the, the bedrock of that show. So that was a a cool way to end that first day of the event. Okay. So, and the, and that show is called Esther's Follies, right? Yes. I knew that because I looked at this conference's website 
And that's literally the only graphic on the website. And as you said, it's a suboptimal website, right? But I'm confused. Well, I'm 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 looking for clarification because I feel like uh, that is probably the driving factor as to if it's not his conference, he's surely a a big component of it. But also, whenever you respond to that, I want to go back to what you said about local theater feature because I I have some thoughts there. Yes, yeah, so the best thing, the best uh, way I could probably describe it is either. Esther's Follies is considered like the host, mm. kind of the host of the event. Like, you know, hey, we're representing the host city. Um, they weren't necessarily involved with the the conference itself, but you know, maybe maybe the host. Um, or potentially there was some kind of sponsorship component that could have been a thing. They might have been, you know, paying subsidizing this thing somehow. Uh, but yes, I also noticed that like everywhere at the event where there was any kind of signage or. or there wasn't that much, but anytime there was something, uh, it was this graphic of Esther's Follies, even though that was just like an evening event of one of the three days. But it makes sense. It's like your cereal, right? Like when you had podcast sure. movement that had Sarah Koenig at it, like Esther's Follies is basically Sarah Koenig is what you're telling me. Yeah, which is interesting because this was like the, the first day, like the kickoff of the event was was kind of the, the featured event, which was kind of ironic. Hey, look... Go hard or go home. That's what I yes. always say. I always say that, Dan. Every every day. The the other thing I wanted to point out, and I and this is a uh, uh, you know rabbit hole kind of thing, but like I I feel like we don't often enough uh, give applause to the local kind of community theater, kind of improv, kind of thing that is uh, a local institution. Like that is that is awesome stuff. I don't know Esther's Follies, but once you tell me what's going on there, I'm very excited about it. Because, like for instance, and I, and I don't know if you and I have have both pulled this trick off, but in Fort Worth, Texas, there's an improv group, a longstanding one called Four Day Weekend, mm. that I I spent many a date night at. And it's just a local kind of whose line is it anyway thing in an, a historic theater. Kudos. Kudos to anyone involved in bringing that to a local community because that, that I, feel, I just feel like that is a dying art kind of like, you know, hidden gem kind of thing. And I'm always down for that sort of thing. Yeah, content-wise, not the same, but from a concept-wise, almost identical yeah. because I have friends from out of town and... When they come to town, they go to see Four Day Weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just like a thing, like a staple of Fort Worth. Yeah, it's it's not the Cowboys. It's not the Yankees. It's like this uh, almost small town kind of thing. And man, that that uh, warms my cockles. It really does. I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of that. I like to keep your cockles warm, so we'll keep it going there. Do it. Um, so the next day, that that rounded out the first day, and I actually only spent two of the three days here. The two days was was my limit for this event. But the next day, uh, what I was really looking forward to was these these sessions, these educational sessions where people were going to talk about history of magic. Now, believe it or not, based on what I've shared already, there wasn't a whole lot of info about what these would be. Um, so it was a little bit of a surprise as, as I showed up to see what we were going to uh, experience. Um, first, what, what I did was I stopped by the expo because this is called the Magic Collectors Expo. So there was a little uh, trade show component to it as well. 
uh, probably about 15 dealers. Uh, and I use dealers in quotes because it was mostly little folding tables set up with a very wide range of like what these dealers, what it entailed. Some of them had like these giant magic tricks on the table, which was kind of cool to see these old collectible, like I didn't know what I was looking at, but boxes and contraptions and things that were neat to look at. Um, a lot of the the dealers were were books, like old books, autographed books, collectible books. A few had like the vintage posters, things going on. So a little bit of everything. Um, you know, took ten minutes for me to walk through and kind of see what I needed to see. But it was uh, it was the the hangout place for those that were in the know. That was the uh, the central hub of the event. So as I uh, exited the dealer room, we were about to start the opening session now. This was a uh, what we in the industry call a single track event, so there wasn't multiple breakout rooms and, and multiple stage sessions happening at once. It was just one stage that kind of rotated sessions throughout the day, um, and and all very high. There was I think four or five sessions that I attended, so high level of these. The first one was a, a woman magician that talked about the history of Texas magic. That was pretty exciting. Kind of talked about all the magicians that have come through the state in the past couple hundred years. So that was exciting, and, and she seemed to have known a lot of them, so told some funny little anecdotes. Um, it was a little weird to me because pretty much everyone in the room like knew of these people or knew these people personally at some level. Um, so I really did feel like kind of an outsider here. This is when I really tried to figure out when everyone's kind of oh nodding their heads or laughing at like an inside joke about uh, you know Tex whatever his name was uh, you know the magician from from Houston in the seventies. Um, did you, did you buy it though? Like, were they really in the know of it or were they just like the hipsters? Are are there (laughs) hipster magician enthusiasts? Are there guys like, Oh, I totally know Tex Houston, the great, like who hasn't heard of that guy? I mean, there's probably definitely a component of like, you know, like we would be in wrestling. Like we had our wrestling friends who acted like they were, had some sort of connection to some of these more famous people. when in reality, they maybe just, uh, you know, snapped a Polaroid with them. 15 years ago Mm. um there was definitely some of that where you know you had your bigger names that were mentioned and you had some people on stage that had pictures with them of going you know performing on stage with them then you had a lot of people that like knew of these people me Mm. i I didn't fit in any of those buckets i was a little bit of fish out of water there um that was my theme of kind of the uh the whole event was i didn't really do a whole lot of talking with people um they all knew each other and wanted to talk to each other a little bit of uh we see this at our events as well like little annual family reunions where you get together from all over the country and hang out with your friends. Um, And I wasn't any of those things. So uh, I didn't necessarily proactively try to get into these circles, but also wasn't like welcomed in. Next little session was actually an interview with Ray Anderson, uh, the Esther's Follies magician, kind of talking about the the production of the show and, you know, why he's chosen to stay there versus, uh, you know, going to Vegas when he's had some of those opportunities. So that was a cool little you know, kind of follow up to the live stage show. So is, is Ray Esther's folly? Like, did she have like an unplanned pregnancy and like (laughs) Esther was like, so Esther, I guess there's some, like, I don't know, Esther's pool. I don't know what Esther's pool is, but like Esther's pool is like a thing or Esther. There's some famous person of Esther named Esther in the Mm. past of like comedy and stage show. I'm not well versed, but it's named after this person. So I I think, I don't think that's actually, I think you're answering my question, but not directly. (laughs) So thank you for that. I didn't learn that inside information during this uh, 45-minute interview with Ray Anderson. I'm sorry. Okay. should ask. Um, you should ask, hey, what's your mom's name? And when you said Esther, you would have known. Uh, then we had a little lunch break. I stopped by Camino El Casino, which is uh, or Casino El Camino, 
uh, which is my go-to burger joint down in Austin. Got a little home cooking. Got a little burger action. A little burger action. Mm. And then after lunch, we had a couple sessions that were kind of the heart of like this collector's uh, expo. So these were people that were talking about the history of a few different magicians. Uh, Doug Hennig was one who's a, a real famous magician from the Mr. 80s. Mr. Perfect. Not Mr. Perfect. That's Kurt Henning. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Doug Henning actually uh, actually holds a record for having the most the largest television audience ever. In 1976, he had a, a World of Magic special that over 50 million people watched. That was like, you know, we talk about the David Copperfield specials. This was like the the Magic special. Um, so some of his collectibles were on display. Um, so I had a couple of different sessions like that. Now, one funny moment from uh, a session that was diving into a uh, magician called Flosso was what this, uh, that was a magician's name. We had a, a speaker that was talking about the history of him. Uh, the speaker went on this rather large talk about how we as magicians need to move on to the, uh, you know, the, the 21st century of uh, magic and really kind of adopt, you know, adopt these new technologies and adapt to the times and he started talking about how NFTs are the future of magic, Jack. And I, uh, I've been saying that, you know, <laughs> I, I've been saying that for seven years now, Dan. So after this big pitch about how this NFT that he was about to show us was going to revolutionize magic, had some difficulty playing the video on the screen. The video wouldn't play right. The play button wasn't working right. So we just kind of had to take him for his word <laughs> that, uh, that this NFT was going to be the future of magic. So that was a little little ironic twist there to uh, end that uh, presentation. Beautiful. God, you should have rolled on that. You should have. I, I should have rolled on it. God, I want to hear. I want to hear that awkward. Well, you guys should just know. I'm I'm trying to sell you a revolutionary <laughs> futuristic thing, but this video player from the now. It's just the now times is the problem. And then uh, the last last thing, and this was the evening entertainment. And this was kind of cool. This was uh, this featured probably what I would say is the most famous magician that was at the event, uh, Lance Burton. Everyone knows Lance Burton. He's uh, he's a big time uh, Vegas act who retired several years ago. But you know, if you go one level below David Copperfield, but not a whole lot lower, um, Lance Burton would be one of those people. And yeah. I would say he's probably like a top ten all time magician. Uh, and he was there, which and it was kind of cool, like because he was hanging out at the event. He didn't just show up for his session. Um, we always talk about that, like at our events, like if a big speaker comes and like hangs out at the parties and stuff. Yeah. Mark Maron's a great example. He yeah. came and just hung out, um, as opposed to showing up for his session and then taking off. Um, Lance Burton did that kind of same thing, so that was pretty neat. Uh, but his session, and and stop me if you're familiar with this, but. In uh, the mid '80s, when we had you know Live Aid and We Are the World and that kind of thing, and the the famine in Africa and all the fundraisers, there's actually a show called The Stars of Magic that was put together. And all of the big name magicians—you've got your Siegfried and Roy's and Lance Burton and David Copperfield and all the big magicians in the mid '80s. Uh, the Doug, previously mentioned Doug Hennig uh, came together to do kind of the magic version of Live Aid, and it was a, a big fundraiser and. Lance Burton was, it was at his theater at the Tropicana and he was, you know, one of the stars of it. And I guess what they did was it was recorded, but never actually like released. So they did this little, where they kind of played this unreleased video of this all-star lineup and did a little retrospective. So only two of the 10 magicians that performed are still living. And those two magicians were like on stage kind of talking about, Hey, how did this event like came together, how we pulled it off. 
um, little backstories as they pay, played video clips. So as like a, ma- a Magic fan, as opposed to an insider, this was like kind of a cool way to like get some of that inside knowledge without like having to be on the inside. Um, and that's how that's how uh, my evening and my Magic Collectors Expo rounded out was with this session uh, featuring Lance Burton. So Jack, that like I said, I didn't really have much opportunity to speak with anyone. I was kind of on my own throughout the week, but uh, I, I do have to full disclosure tell you that on my way out, I did happen to run into one person who was actually very eager to talk to me. the The only one I met all week, and like I said, for the good of the show, I rolled tape on it. So, if you'll indulge me, let's listen to my interview with one Oren Poughkeepsie. I am standing just outside the Magician Collectors Conference here in beautiful parking lot B of the Austin, Texas Sheraton, uh, and I'm speaking with a gentleman who is selling magic memorabilia out of his trunk. Uh, sir, uh, Dan Franks here from the Men Seeking Tomahawks podcast. Uh, do you mind if I talk to you for a minute? Hello, true believers. Tis I, Oren Poughkeepsie, known as the Great Poughkeepsie. Okay, 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 sir. Uh, you can back off of the microphone. I'll, I'll hold it a little bit further from you. Um, just, just take it back a bit. Uh, okay, Oren Poughkeepsie. I see that you are selling what appears to be magic memorabilia from out of the back of, of your car or someone's car. Um, why aren't you selling inside? There, there's an expo in there. Is this Bennett Darwin? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Well, alas, it is with a heavy heart that I must admit that I, the Great Poughkeepsie, am banned permanently from the Magic Collectors Expo. Okay, so so you've earned a permanent ban from the Magician's Expo. How does that happen? Well, let me quench your thirst of this knowledge of by painting a vibrant picture in your mind's eye. T'was a time long ago, 20 and 14 to be precise... A masterful debonair practitioner of magic, yours truly, took to the stage of the world-famous Magic Collectors Expo to dazzle a full-capacity theater. I performed what could modestly be described as one of the greatest demonstrations of magical illusions ever witnessed. For the grand finale, I debuted my legendary version of the Sawing a Woman in Half trick. It was so unique. So extraordinary that it was going to change magic history forever! Oh no, don't tell me something went wrong. No, not at all. The trick went off without a hitch. It was my subsequent disappearing act that was the issue. Uh, Oh, what did you make disappear? Several lines of cocaine in the men's water closet. Oh no. For being so open-minded about the dark arts, those shrivs that run the Magician's Expo sure are close-minded about recreational drug use. Okay, so since you're banned, you set up shop right outside the Expo? Indeed! I've never deprived my throngs of adoring fans the great opportunity to engage in commerce with the Great Poughkeepsie. Wow, you, you sound like a legend. This is my first time here. I've never heard of you. Uh, how, how many attendees have come out here so far? Well, none thus far, but a homeless person pushing a shopping cart full of toasters strongly considered signing up for my online newsletter. Okay, so this is a collector's expo, so I'd love to hear what kind of magical treasures you have for your customers here today. Well, David, in the trunk of this 1979 Oldsmobile Classic Supreme... A cornucopia of wonders from the world of Magicka await the lucky client. For example, contained in this jar, 
we have the dentures of the ant, of the landlord, of one of Harry Houdini. It's true. It's true. Uh, wow, I, I can hardly believe it. That's something. Well, believe it, Dalton, and keep your disbelief suspended as I allow you to examine this seemingly ordinary automotive oil filter. You're right. It looks exactly like a regular car oil filter. Ha! Well, looks can be deceiving, can they not? Because this spent oil filter was serendipitously acquired by me during a vehicle servicing event on the automobile of none other than Chris... Angel, colon, mind freak. Uh, okay, so so you snuck into a mechanic shop and stole Chris Angel's oil filter? Ah, snuck in? No. Why would I need to sneak into the mechanic shop when I'm the janitor at the mechanic shop? Uh, okay, so if you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Oren Poughkeepsie, a magician with a lifetime ban from the Magician's Expo. Uh, we're just outside the expo where Oren has several items for sale that I guess would best be described as loosely kind of sort of tangential adjacent to magician memorabilia. Oh, Dustin. Uh, it's Dan. My name's Dan. Oh, Stan. I hear the incredulousness in your voice. Methinks you're wanting to see the real magical sundries of my collection. Yeah, I, I think that might be just a bit more interesting for myself and for the listener. Well, we mustn't disappoint our adoring fans. Behold! In this seemingly innocuous novelty magic eight ball, I have captured a human soul. Whoa, what? Okay, really? That, that's actually pretty impressive. I'm, I'm shocked. Isn't it, though? And look, if you hold the eight ball up against your ear like a conch, you can sometimes hear the wailing of the eternally doomed soul captured within. If you don't mind me asking, whose soul is trapped inside? Not at all. Trapped within this vessel is the soul of a very famous local professional wrestler who recently passed. He went by the handle Gentleman Jackson. Oh, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, now, what about that glowing vial over there next to your tire wrench? Oh, that vial contains the mystically harvested essence of one of the strongest titans to have ever walked the earth. Just a sniff from this vial will at least double a man's strength, virility, and intelligence. Wow, now that is incredible. Who was this titan? Was it Hercules? Close! DeBrickashaw Ferguson! Although I suppose he was more of a jet than a titan. Uh, I should also mention that on the clearance we have a Zoltar the Great fortune-telling machine, previously owned by Saddam Hussein. Uh, okay, 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 can I, yeah, Oren, it looks like we're just about out of time. I, I really appreciate you speaking with me. I'll, I'll take that microphone back now. Well, the gratitude is all on this side of the table, Daniel. And look, uh, your broadcast has really already sent me two curious customers my way. They approach henceforth. Oh, Oren, uh, my show isn't live, so I don't think anybody has heard it. Uh, and those do not look like customers. Those might be security guards. Hey, we already told you you can't be out here selling. Whoops, toodles. Dan. 
top-notch interview. Thank you. And with that, another installment of Men Seeking Tomahawks has magically disappeared. Be sure to subscribe to the program on your favorite podcast app. Become a tomahawk-seeking person by joining us over on The Social. And to hear more from the musicians featured on the program, go to menseekingtomahawks.com. For Dan, I'm Jack. For Jack, I'm Dan. And-